Take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you dry it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Hey! Spanning the continent to bring you the truth about cannabis and marijuana law reform. I smoke pot and I like it a lot. CannabisRadio.com presents The Russ Belleville Show The voice of the marijuana nation Hey, this is great, man Now, here's your host Radical Russ Belleville Good day, tokers and tokettes and non-toking lovers of liberty. It is Thursday, September 15th, 2016, and it's got to be 420 somewhere in the world. Welcome to the show. So glad you could make it here on this beautiful September day. We are closing in on Marijuana Election Night 2016, 54 days away, I believe. And we will be there in Los Angeles, California, bringing you live coverage of the Prop 64 vote, as well as the other eight states that are voting on legalization or medical marijuana, as well as the local coverage of Oregon and Colorado and California votes that impact marijuana, as well as whatever else we can find in the next 54 days to bring you coverage of six hours of live coverage beginning at 3 p.m. Pacific time on election night. And we will stay on the air until we get the last returns out of California. So looking forward to it. Marijuana election night, 2016 hashtag MJ election on today's show. We've got some great guests to bring to you today Uh, in our inaugural edition of our new cultivators corner segment coming up at half past We've got the legendary cannabis grower, author, the man behind MarijuanaGrowing.com, and fellow Treasure Valley native, Jorge Cervantes, will be joining us in Cultivator's Corner to talk about the harvest season, what's going on with uh, commercial and medical growing around the country and around the world. So stay tuned for that. Coming up at half past... And then at 45 hour, uh, 45 after the hour, uh, we are going to inaugurate a segment we're calling Pot and Public Policy. And this segment, we're going to be speaking to uh, a spokesperson from the American Bail Coalition, a nonprofit organization that supports uh, cash bail. We're talking about a uh, case in the 11th Circuit that may decide that requiring cash bail for people in poverty is unconstitutional. He's arguing that cash bail is very important, and that case could set a dangerous precedent for law and order. I will be arguing quite the opposite. So we'll be talking about that at the uh, end of this hour. Also in this first hour, we'll get into some drug war data mining and take a look at why states are taking a fresh look at the so-called drug-free school zones and how the unintended consequences of those laws have got them rethinking how they should be applied. Also on the show, right after our news, we've got our Behind the Headlines segment, a cannabis focus that features audio from Jay-Z, the uh, multi-platinum rapper who is uh, calling the war on drugs an epic fail. Comes from a video posted on the uh, New York Times as an op-ed that includes some great illustrations as well. You'll get to hear the audio here right after our cannabis radio news. And in the headlines today, we've got some news from New Jersey where Chris Christie did something good. Oh my God. Also, uh, we'll talk about uh, new research coming out of Columbia University on medical marijuana versus opioid drugs. We got a tale out of Georgia, a terrible, terrible case that has uh, garnered much attention in the metro Atlanta area 
of a toddler who was uh, killed by uh, being left in a hot car. We'll tell you what the uh, marijuana connection is to that. Also, we've got opponents of Prop 64 that are trying to uh, raise some fear and doubt about the possibility of passing marijuana legalization. We'll pierce that uh, when we get to that segment. And then a donation from a bush in favor of marijuana legalization. Wow, the times, they are a-changing, aren't they? That's all coming up here in Hour 1, and then in Hour 2, Toker Talk Radio, the phone lines will be open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. I'll give you the latest update on what the stoners against legalization are doing to smear the good name of Seattle Hempfest founder Vivian McPeak, and we'll tear apart a couple of their beloved talking points to try to convince people to vote no on legalization. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Cannabis use isn't the only thing growing. So are we. Grow with us. CannabisRadio.com. Oh, let the marijuana llama tell you something now. Bought a game for your phone, gonna make you say, wow! The game's about the game of growing cannabis for cash. Grow the seeds, sell the bud, put the savings in the stash. Little by little, your empire grows large. Put the big celebrities inside your entourage. You can choose to play with Snoop or me or Chichin Chong. Cypress Hill, Willie Nelson, Wiz Khalifa with a bong. The name of the game is Hemping, that's the point. Download and play while you light yourself a joint. The business of cannabis should be no crime. Hemp Inc. is even hot-proofed by the man who run high times. Oh, yeah. Get it on Android and I and iOS today. Marijuana Llama out. Got to tend to me on crops, you know. Money don't make itself. Hemp Inc. Doc Rob, the concierge for better living. Cannabis is just one of the many great plants that we have on this planet called Earth that we can use consciously and, and intelligently to improve our well-being. Take a real, raw, inside look at healthier living while sharing great ideas and improvements for a better quality of life. Learning to live and live well is a lifelong process. This is a journey. It could be, you could be 80 years old or 8 years old. You can still learn something that's going to make tomorrow a little bit healthier, a little bit easier, a little bit happier, a little bit better. The Concierge for Better Living with Doc Rob. Only on CannabisRadio.com. Marijuana is not addictive, but listening to the Russ Belleville Show is. Marijuana legalization is a worldwide phenomenon. Get yourself positioned for the global cannabis marketplace by attending the International Cannabis Business Conference in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. You'll learn from established cannabis business professionals, elected officials, and internationally recognized marijuana law reform activists. You'll also enjoy the ICBC's famous VIP party featuring ICBC special guest speaker and Canadian native Tommy Chong. The ICBC is happening in Vancouver on Thursday and Friday, October 13th and 14th at the Hyatt Regency. Log on to internationalcbc.com today to reserve your tickets. That's internationalcbc.com and bookmark our page for the next ICBCs taking place in Berlin, Germany and San Francisco, California. Don't miss the International Cannabis Business Conference, internationalcbc.com. It's time for the Cannabis Radio News. 
covering the latest headlines in consumer cannabis, medical marijuana, and industrial hemp. Cannabis Radio News is now available exclusively at CannabisRadio.com. Now your marijuana headlines in 4 minutes and 20 seconds. This is Cannabis Radio News. This is your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, September 15th, 2016. Trenton, New Jersey. Governor Chris Christie, a notorious opponent of any expansion of medical or recreational marijuana, signed a bill adding post-traumatic stress to the medical marijuana qualifying conditions list in New Jersey. The new law still requires that veterans and others with the debilitating mental health condition must first exhaust all other conventional PTSD therapies before being allowed to try non-toxic herbal cannabis. But the governor also directed the health department to establish, quote, clear objective criteria, end quote, for evaluating PTSD for fear that too many would lie or exaggerate their condition just to use marijuana for fun. That may further restrict the ability of vets and others with legitimate need from accessing cannabis as a medicine. New Jersey is the 18th medical marijuana state of the 25 to recognize PTSD as a qualifying condition. New York, New York. Rapper Jay-Z has teamed up with the Drug Policy Alliance to produce a four-minute video excoriating the war on drugs. The New York Times posted the production as a video op-ed piece entitled, The War on Drugs is an Epic Fail. Jay-Z provides narration over illustrations as he describes his background growing up as a young black, quote, hustler, end quote, in the Reagan-era war on drugs. Also included are statistics on mass incarceration, explanations of mandatory minimum sentencing, and how the inherently racist nature of the drug war is continuing into the newly legal marijuana industry through laws that bar felons from licensing. New York, New York. Researchers at Columbia have concluded that access to medical marijuana correlates with half the use of opioid drugs among people aged 21 to 40. In the study, researchers analyzed the traffic fatality data between 1999 and 2013 from 18 states that test deceased drivers for drugs and alcohol. They found that dead drivers were half as likely to have detectable opioids in their system in the states that had operational medical marijuana laws. However, for drivers over age 40, there was no significant difference in opioid detection whether a state had medical marijuana or not. Previous research published in the Journal of the American Medical Association found that states with medical marijuana laws also had lower death rates from opioid overdose. Brunswick, Georgia. Smelling like marijuana was justification enough for a potential juror to be disqualified from serving in the trial of a man accused of murdering his toddler. According to police, on the morning of June 18, 2014, Justin Ross Harris left his 22-month-old son, Cooper, in the car while at work at the Home Depot. Harris went back to the car at lunch to place something inside for safekeeping. Police say that at 4.20 p.m., Harris then left work with friends when he realized Cooper was still in the car, only to find the boy already dead from heat stroke. While Harris proclaims the incident was an accident, the state has charged Harris with a felony murder count, noting that Harris had been researching child hot car deaths on the internet. The trial venue was moved from the Atlanta area to the Atlantic coast when the judge determined that potential jurors in the metro Atlanta area were too biased by, quote, persistent and pervasive, end quote, news coverage of the tragedy. Los Angeles, California. Opponents of California's Prop 64 have claimed that the legalization initiative will lead to the mass advertisement of marijuana on television, including family shows. 
While recent polls have shown support among voters between 58 and 60 percent, the no on Prop 64 campaign claims they have internal polling showing that when voters understand there will be marijuana ads on TV, support drops to just 52 percent. The Yes on Prop 64 campaign has countered that federal law still allows the FCC to ban advertising for illegal drugs, which the feds still find marijuana to be. Furthermore, they point out that Prop 64 actually has stricter controls on advertising than the four currently legal states, and their internal polling shows that when voters understand that, support for the legalization measure jumps to 64%. Watertown, Massachusetts. A cousin of former President George W. Bush has donated $10,000 to the marijuana legalization campaign in Massachusetts. Jonathan Bush is the CEO of Athena Health, the Watertown-based healthcare giant. Athena Health spokeswoman Holly Spring confirmed that Bush believes marijuana use by adults is, quote, one of the many freedoms Americans should have the right to, end quote. This has been your Cannabis Radio News for Thursday, September 15th, 2016. I'm Russ Belville. We don't limit how much you smoke, and we don't limit where you listen. Cannabis Radio is now on iTunes, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase, and it gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick. The safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Normal stands for responsible adult cannabis use. If cannabis use is causing problems in your life, consider taking a break or seeking medical assistance. Consider ceasing cannabis use if you have a family history of mental illness. Don't drive or operate heavy machinery while impaired by cannabis use. Cannabis use is not without risks, even though the risks may be far less than those posed by legal drugs. Warning. Hits taken on this show are larger than they appear. Do not try this at home. These people are professionals. Or at least they pay me to say that. A public service message from CannabisRadio.com and the Russ Belleville Show. At Herbie's Cannabis Seeds, we pride ourselves on bringing you the best quality seeds from the world's most respected cannabis seed producers, all at the lowest online prices. You can find Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. All cannabis seeds are sold as souvenirs and as a means of preserving cannabis genetics. Herbie's Seeds in no way intends to condone, promote, or incite the use of illegal or controlled substances. We strongly urge all prospective customers to check their national laws prior to placing an order. Herbie's Seeds at Herbie'sHeadShop.com. Proud sponsors of The Russ Belville Show and 420 Radio. The world of cannabis is evolving at a frenetic pace. The Russ Belleville Show gets behind the headlines to take a deeper look at breaking news in our Cannabis Focus. Today in the Cannabis Focus, uh, we want to take a look at this new piece that has been published by the New York Times. It's an op-ed, a video op-ed that they published from uh, multi-platinum rapper Jay-Z, who is calling the war on drugs an epic fail. 
It's a great video. I encourage you to check out the uh, New York Times website so you can see it because the illustrations behind the video are, are very compelling. Uh, he tells the tale of growing up in Brooklyn and how the war on drugs, of course, is uh, impacted him as an African-American, and it's being promoted by the Drug Policy Alliance. Uh, Asha Bandele from DPA has written a great uh, op-ed to go along with the video that asks the question why black folks were the ones that got uh, disproportionately sentenced and imprisoned for the marijuana industry when it was illegal, but now that it's becoming legal, about 99% of the marijuana industry is owned by white people. It's an important uh, question about the structural problems with legalization and the inherently racist nature of the war on drugs. We'll uh, turn it over now to the audio from uh, Jay-Z on the New York Times. This is The War on Drugs is an Epic Fail. In 1986, when I was coming of age, Ronald Reagan doubled down on the war on drugs that had been started by Richard Nixon in 1971. Drugs were bad, fried your brain, and drug dealers were monsters, the sole reason neighborhoods and major cities were failing. No one wanted to talk about Reaganomics and the ending of social safety nets, the defunding of schools and the loss of jobs in cities across America. Young men like me who hustled became the sole villain and drug addicts lacked moral fortitude. In the 1990s, incarceration rates in the U.S. blew up. Today, we imprison more people than any other country in the world. China, Russia, Iran, Cuba. All countries we consider autocratic and repressive. Yeah, more than them. Judges' hands were tied by tough-on-crime laws, and they were forced to hand out mandatory life sentences for simple possession and low-level drug sales. My home state of New York started this with Rockefeller laws. Then the feds made distinctions between people who sold powder cocaine and crack cocaine even though they were the same drug. Only difference is how you take it. And even though white people used and sold crack more than black people, somehow it was black people who went to prison. The media ignored actual data to this day. Crack is still talked about as a black problem. The NYPD raided our Brooklyn neighborhoods while Manhattan bankers openly used coke with impunity. The war on drugs exploded the U.S. prison population disproportionately locking away black and Latinos. Our prison population grew more than 900%. When the war on drugs began in 1971, our prison population was 200,000. Today it is over 2 million. Long after the crack era ended, we continued our war on drugs. There were more than 1.5 million drug arrests in 2014. More than 80% were for possession only. Almost half were for marijuana. People are finally talking about treating addiction to harder drugs as a health crisis. But there's no compassionate language about drug dealers. Unless, of course, we're talking about places like Colorado, whose state economy got a huge boost by the above-ground marijuana industry. A few states south in Louisiana, they're still handing out mandatory sentences for people who sell weed. Despite a boom in its celebrated $50 billion legal marijuana industry, most states still disproportionately hand out mandatory sentences to black and Latinos with drug cases. If you're entrepreneurial and live in one of the many states that are passing legalized laws, you may still face barriers participating in the above-ground economy. Venture capitalists migrate to these states to open multi-billion dollar operations, but former felons can't open a dispensary. Lots of times those felonies were drug charges, caught by poor people who sold drugs for a living. 
but are now prohibited from participating in one of the fastest growing economies. Got it? In states like New York, where holding marijuana is no longer grounds for arrest, police issue possession citations in black and Latino neighborhoods at a far higher rate than other neighborhoods. Kids in Crown Heights are constantly stopped and ticketed for trees. Kids at dorms in Columbia, where rates of marijuana use are equal to or worse than those in the hood, are never targeted or ticketed. Rates of drug use are as high as they were when Nixon declared the so-called war in 1971. Forty-five years later, it's time to rethink our policies and laws. The war on drugs is an epic fail. What a fantastic piece by Jay-Z. It's spreading all across the internet as well it should. Find it in my social media feeds on Facebook and on Twitter at Radical Russ and pass it along to everyone you know. Happy 420 to the Mountain Time Zone. That includes you, New Mexico. Land of enchantment. Let's get enchanted. We'll be right back with some drug war data mining. Maui Wowie, Acapulco Gold, California Kush. Our strains stretch everywhere, too. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Play as Ted Growing, expelled botany sophomore and the biggest grower in town, only on Weed Firm Replanted. Available on the App Store and Google Play. It's a lot of work being the biggest grower in town. Maintaining a room full of plants while dealing with a slew of eccentric customers, from a hardcore partier to the curious neighbor next door. Is anybody home? Help me expand my bud business by unlocking new strains, customizing my grow room, and completing challenges that you can't get enough of. Grow your empire so big you can see it from space. Low on funds? Don't worry. Weed Firm Replanted is free to download. Download Weed Firm Replanted for free on the App Store and Google Play today. Get growing, Mr. Growing. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. Hello? Hey, uh, are you the one that put the ad on Craigslist? Uh, it was in the, the personal no. section uh, about, you know, want to have a, little, uh, have a little good time tonight? No. Nothing about, you know, any uh, backdoor action? No. A little fifth base? You're not into that? No, and I, I suggest you don't fucking call my phone number, you fucking perverted bastard. Are you, are you sure you're not the one on the Craigslist? You're talking dirty to me. Damn, she hung out. That was good. It was funny, though. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. You can find Radical Russ online everywhere. Gmail, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, YouTube, SoundCloud, Snapchat, LinkedIn, and Boise State University's 2400 baud modem bulletin board system from 1985. The Russ Belville Show is proudly sponsored by the Marijuana Business Association. The MJBA, called by NBC News the Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, is the fastest-growing business association in the fastest-growing industry in America. I've been working with the MJBA for years, and I personally invite you to join the MJBA. MJBA also publishes the popular MJ Headline News on Facebook and the MJNewsNetwork.com and Marijuana Channel 1 on YouTube. Visit MJBA.net for more details. Promoting the end of adult cannabis prohibition is easy. 
because we have facts, science, reason, compassion, evidence, truth, and logic on our side. It's even easier when researchers catalog it all for us. Learn how to gather the facts on marijuana use, arrests, seizures, rehabs, drug tests, and more on this edition of Drug War Data Mining. Today in the Data Mines, we take a look at a piece that came to us via, via Stateline, uh, a nonpartisan nonprofit news service from the Pew Charitable Trust. And the uh, title is Why States Are Taking a Fresh Look at Drug-Free Zones. And what we're talking about here is the drug-free school zone laws that typically mandate that within a thousand feet of a school, if you're busted for some sort of drug offense, there's an enhanced penalty or a mandatory sentence. The idea of this started in the mid-1980s during the uh, crack cocaine scare, and uh, the idea was that we were going to push the drug dealers away from the schools, keep them away from the kids that are uh, so vulnerable. Now these laws are being reexamined because people have become aware of the problem of mass incarceration and they've realized that the drug-free school zones didn't work as intended and had a whole slew of unintended consequences. However, not all the states are coming around on this. We've got states like Delaware, Indiana, Kentucky, and Utah that are reducing the size of the drug-free school zone, but other states like Arkansas, Hawaii, and Texas are expanding the school zone this time because of the opioid scare. Now, let's start by taking a look at some of the variants of these school zones. In Arkansas, they've got some of the most restrictive and stringent laws regarding the drug-free zone. It's not just for an area around schools, but also colleges, universities, school bus stops, public parks, skating rinks, YMCAs, community centers, public housing, treatment centers, daycare centers, and churches. (laughs) Jeez. And... If you are convicted of possession, delivery, manufacture, or sale of drugs within one of those zones, you get an extra 10 years in prison with no chance of parole. In nine other states, Alaska, Arkansas, Arizona, Connecticut, Indiana, Minnesota, New Mexico, Michigan, and Oklahoma, simple possession in a school zone can get you more time. In Alabama, the school zones that include colleges and housing projects don't have a thousand feet barrier. 15,460 foot barrier, roughly three miles around a school is a school zone in Alabama. In Connecticut, the school free, the drug free school zones are 1500 feet from the perimeter of a school or a daycare center or public housing. In 2014, the prison policy initiative researched this and found that in Bridgeport, Connecticut, 92% of the 148,000 residents lived in a drug-free school zone. Meanwhile, in the small town of Bridgewater, just 8% of the residents lived in a drug-free school zone. And the point of this is that if you keep expanding the drug-free school zone to include just about everywhere, then you don't have a drug-free school zone. Everything is just a zone. (laughs) And if the idea was to push the drug dealers out, where the hell were they supposed to go? (laughs) There's nowhere to go that's not a drug-free school zone. Researchers in Massachusetts found that when the zones are so extensive, they don't have any uh, effect on moving the drugs away from kids. And the unintended consequence is that it tends to target minorities in the dense urban neighborhoods. If you're out in the suburbs, in the residential suburbs, 
you're going to be far away from the school. But if you're in the densely packed urban areas, then you're going to be within blocks of a school no matter where you go. And the more densely packed the urban area, the more likely we're going to have a high representation of minorities. And therefore, that's where we start to see that disproportionate sentencing happening again, leading to our prisons being overcrowded with black and Latino people. The other thing, too, is that drug dealers tend to work where they live and they want to live where there are customers and customers are in the city. So they point out that like a a guy dealing dime bags in Tennessee in the city could do a whole ton of prison time compared to, say, a major meth manufacturer out in the country just because that guy is nowhere near a school zone. And there's some terrible cases that illustrate how how tragic this has become. The case of Roderick Griffin Jr. He was standing on the porch of his grandfather's house in Chattanooga in 2009 when the cops rolled up. He ran, as did everyone else. According to the cops, he threw down a rock of crack, uh, and it was about 2.6 grams they caught him with. They arrested him and charged him with intent to sell cocaine and possession with intent to deliver cocaine, a class B felony, 2.6 grams. And that's possession with intent to sell class B felony. But because where they caught him was within a thousand feet of an elementary school, he got charged with a class A felony instead and faced an automatic sentence of 15 to 60 years with no parole. Now, had he run a little farther, gotten caught more than a thousand feet away, he'd have just gotten eight years in prison and would have been eligible for parole in less than three years. The man had no previous arrest record. He ended up pleading guilty and was sentenced to eight years and he has to serve the full eight. Tennessee's uh, drug-free school zone law isn't just schools, though. It includes preschools, daycare centers, public libraries, recreational centers and parks. So this is leading to the mass incarceration problem that we have where people are caught for these low level offenses. And just based on zip code, based on geography, they're getting massively increased sentences for the same crimes in Tennessee. It's about 500 people that are serving time just for the fact they were in a drug free school zone. People are afraid to attack this. They're afraid to change it because they don't want to seem soft on drugs, soft on crime, or in any way trying to help the drug dealers get close to the kids. But it's time to recognize that you can't declare everything a drug-free zone or else it has no meaning. All right, when we come back, we've got our Cultivators Corner. Grow questions with Jorge Cervantes. You can call in live at 650-LEGAL-MJ if you'd like to ask a question, or you can visit us in the chat room. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. How high do you like your profit margin? CannabisRadio.com. The next generation of vaporizers has arrived. Vuber vaporizers are blazing the way with unparalleled technology for oil, concentrate, or dry flower pens. Providing unsurpassed customer service and expert craftsmanship, Vuber vaporizers use cutting-edge technology, providing a power-packed, smoother vapor with a lifetime guarantee. Experience vaporizing the way it was meant to be, the Vuber way. 
Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 1920s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stopped arresting responsible marijuana smokers. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Adrian, I, I ain't finished it. <laughs> okay, maybe you're high too. Hey everybody, it's Radical Russ here from 420 Radio inviting you to be like me and get your ink done at Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo, Fort Worth's most female-friendly, clean, sterile, awesome tattoo shop. Thomas and his crew are true artists who can design you a custom piece or use a design you bring in. Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo also offers all styles of tattooing as well as piercings and all-around fun. In the DFW area, stop by Lucky Horseshoe Tattoo and tell them Radical Russ sent you. Trust me, it'll feel awesome. They say marijuana grows like a weed, but growing high-quality marijuana takes more than just throwing a seed in the ground. Join us as we speak with the most recognized cannabis horticulturists in the world and take your live grow questions in our Cultivator's Corner. Welcome back, everybody. Time for our Cultivator's Corner. And joining us uh, on the Cultivator's Corner for the first time ever, we've got the legendary grower, the man behind MarijuanaGrowing.com. It's Jorge Cervantes. Jorge, how you doing, man? Really good, Russ. Gosh, it's wonderful to be here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, we're really excited to have really you, and, uh, and uh, we've got the harvest season that's coming up here. I'm sure people are pretty excited about that, and I was just wondering from your perspective now here in uh, Oregon and the other legal states that it's harvest time. Uh, what's your perspective on how, how the, uh, the, the cultivation techniques are, are being uh, or how the cultivation is being handled in the legal commercial markets? Well, I'll tell you, Russ, it's pretty amazing. I've talked to everybody I've talked to, and I've talked to several store owners, you know, included. They are selling more products and more people are growing more cannabis than ever before. It's just going to be a stellar year. Uh, I was in southern Oregon, and then it's all the way up into Portland. Everybody's growing there, having legal cannabis. It's just amazing. So many backyard gardens. And now, too, in California, we're going to vote this year. That's where I'm at in Northern California. Everybody's growing a lot here, too. It's incredible. So I think we're going to see tons and tons of cannabis this year. But there's some things people should be paying attention to right now, you know. Uh, there's quite a few things like, you know, especially I'd, I'd be getting ready for some rainstorms. I, I don't know what the weather's been like up in Portland, but there's been some rain up in Northern California. And uh, if you can, well, definitely people should be trellising their plants up. I like a horizontal tra- trellis. Um, th- those work real well because when the rain comes, it... The, the plants are going to get real heavy and they're going to fall over. But if they're trellised, they won't fall too far. So that's a, a real good deal to get going if it already isn't done. And then there's another few things you want to do. If you can, 
You might want to, if you can, cover them with plastic. I know that's really hard because a lot of people have really good, great big plants. But one of my favorite tricks is to use one of those electric leaf blowers. Yeah. I use yeah. the electric one because it's not so strong as the uh, gasoline-powered one. And, but that's what I blow the water off the leaves with. And it works great. You know, mm. So all kinds of things can be done this time of year. Well, that's a nice little tip uh, from Jorge Cervantes. Now, uh, we've got people in our chat room that are listening as well. Plus, we've got our live phone line open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. So if you've got a question for one of the greatest growers of all time, get it in here at 650-LEGAL-MJ. Our first one coming from John Thomas in our chat room kind of alludes to you know Prop 64 and, and the legalization that's happening across the country that, of course, is leading to you know big commercial grows which is also leading to a drop in the price of cannabis. And the question is, as the prices are dropping, are growers still going to be okay when marijuana sells for so much less, like, you know, even 50 bucks an ounce maybe? Well, yeah. I mean, I was just looking at some some costs of production and then uh, uh, what it's been selling for. And my gosh, even at at a $1,000 a pound like it is now, it's, you know, you should be able to keep your production costs down pretty good. You know, so a thousand dollars a pound is quite a bit of money. I think the price should be able to go down to uh, a couple hundred dollars a pound because, well, you know, there's just so many costs that people have had to live through. And that's usually because of regulation or, well, regulation and fear. But my gosh, you know, the the price should go down way, way down. Uh, backyard growers, which are usually the most inefficient, uh, they should be able to keep their prices down to that. And then see, a lot of times these commercial growers, uh, they have to set up on land that's really not the best. And uh, usually it's got hillsides and whatnot yeah. to it. And that's a big problem, you know, so they're not at all efficient. And then also the watering is usually not too efficient. So if if these guys could use, you know, uh, well, hydraulic machinery, <laughs> they'd be a lot better off. And if they had flat land to grow on, they'd be a lot better off. But ultimately, the price of uh, production has got to go way, way down yeah. from what it is now. Um, yeah, because growing out at the end of a dirt road that takes 20 minutes or 30 minutes to get to uh, from town or even longer, uh, that's not too efficient. Right, right, right. right. We've got a question uh, from our chat room asking, how should a little mold or mildew be washed off at the end of flower? Oh, that's really pretty easy. Uh, you still got to watch it, though. It's the the... Mold is still inside the plant. Uh, but the thing is, if you want to wash it off the surface, all you have to do is put in, uh, it's about a 5% mix of, it's, it's, you get the 3% of, uh, what's it called, the uh, uh, H2O2, hydrogen oh, peroxide. peroxide. Yeah. And then you put it in a, in a mix, of, like a 5% solution of that. Uh, you put it into water and then wash your plants in it just like you would vegetables. 
And that'll wash off all the pollutants, not just mold, but anything else, any bug poop or, or uh, all kinds of stuff, uh, dust, dirt, uh, everything. It's just a good idea for all plants. And then after you rinse it off, you submerge it for, I don't know, 10 to 30 seconds, swish it around a bit. Uh, you could leave it in longer, but then uh, shake it to dry it off and then uh, hang it up in front of a fan until the big drops dry off. And that's those. Well, I usually do it in complete branches and those those branches are now ready to dry. I did a video of it, uh, of that specifically. I've got a couple of hundred videos up on my YouTube. Uh, yeah, on my YouTube channel. Just search for Jorge Cervantes uh, channel, and you can find that video along with a heck of a lot of others that are pretty instructional. All right. And uh, this other uh, thing I want to make sure that we got clear, uh, when you're talking about the hydrogen peroxide, you're going to the store and you're buying the bottle that's the 3% hydrogen peroxide, but then you're further diluting it to a 5% yeah. solution of after that. Okay. That's- Right. So, yeah, so yeah, like you put in like one cup of of the three percent hydrogen peroxide and another nineteen cups of water. Yeah, exactly. For like five gallons, you know. I mean, it's it, it's a real light dilution, and uh, it works really, really well. Uh, you can see all the scum and everything float up to the top. You're going to want to use do that all the time, and it's and it's not at all hard on buds. You know you. You don't want to bang them around, but you know, I keep them on branches and just uh, swill them around in there a bit, and it works great. And it washes them, washes everything off. No worries. Wow, that's great to hear. All right, so check that out. And, of course, you can find uh, tips like that and all sorts of great information in Jorge's books and his videos. You can check out uh, MarijuanaGrowing.com for all of the uh, uh, other information and links that you might need. Now, uh, the question I had for you as we continue on with uh, marijuana legalization happening, one of the fears that we have uh, in the community is that it'll be overcome by commercialism. We'll end up with Marlboro weed and Walmart weed and this mass-produced swag that nobody's going to want. Uh, what's your take on that fear, on that, on that theory as legalization uh, unfolds? Well, I think it'll take those guys a long time to gear up. And I think there's a lot of uh, other people. It's just like the microbrews and stuff uh, as far as the beer goes or the wine industry. It's really hard to control something like that uh, because there's so many different types and everything can be quite unique. And then the other thing is the backyard and home growers that can grow a few plants are going to be a huge segment of this market. And I think (laughs) they're going to be responsible for keeping the price low and also uh, what control, what, maybe 40 or 50 percent or more of all of the cannabis that's distributed. Mm. So they're going to be a huge force, I believe. Right, right. Okay, we have one final question coming in from our chat room. Michael wants to know, uh, as we move into this future of cannabis cultivation in California under Prop 64, are the current growers in Northern California in jeopardy of not being able to grow in their current spots because of possible zoning? Like if they if they only limit growing to agricultural zones and they restrict it in the forest zones, some of those Northern California oh, yeah. growers, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, everybody's fighting stuff now. Uh, see, a lot of zoning things never came up. Because, see, this whole industry was uh, illegally. It, it grew illegal. They wouldn't let us have any any place calling our own, you know, that we could live. And so consequently, people just moved out in the middle of nowhere. Well, now it's put all kinds of stress on that environment, especially when that's that wasn't a big issue. The stress wasn't as big an issue until the droughts came. And when we have these back-to-back years of drought, it's really difficult on the environment. So we're seeing all kinds of, of legal uh legal sanctions coming into the the cannabis world uh i was over in calaveras county in in uh eastern color i mean california and they've got all kinds of water code things they've got to deal with and greenhouse codes and building codes and grading codes all of you know they've got to conform like everybody else so it's going to be a real difficult uh, transition for a lot of people. And then other people will uh, very well could be grandfathered in for one reason or another. But it's super important to, to organize. So no matter what happens, you're, you're able to be represented. Great. All right. Jorge Cervantes is uh, the author of numerous growing books, including the the new encyclopedia. Give people a quick uh, link or shout out to tell them about that. Oh, yeah. The Cannabis Encyclopedia. It's great. It it really is. It's uh, twice as big as marijuana horticulture. It's packed full of all kinds of great information. 596 pages. Uh, Forward was written by the president of Mexico. And I'll tell you, it, it really does have everything. And I was really fortunate to work with a lot of great people and had great editors. So the book is all, all everything's correct. Um, it's, and you can find it on Amazon. All right. Cannabis. Jorge, thank you so much for calling in. We appreciate it. And uh, we'll talk to you again uh, in a couple Thursdays. Okay. Hey, thank you so much, Russ. Check um, it out at MarijuanaGrowing.com. We're back with Jeffrey Clayton from the American Bail Coalition after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Seed to sale, clicks to conversions, and more. You're listening to the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, more flavor. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. We do have John McAvee. He's running for the Libertarian Party nomination for president. What makes <laughs> someone like you want to take the reins of this? We're so far behind this frightening and in a cyber war. We can't hack into the Chinese. Back in 1979, they started building cyber defense systems. 
We didn't even think about it until 20 years ago. I, I've seen no candidates and certainly no one within government capable of dealing with this issue. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. You're not high. You're listening to the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Your grapefruits are no match for my Trump Towers. Okay, maybe you're high, too. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Marijuana legalization is just the beginning of a process of restoring our natural rights to the cannabis plant. Join us now as we learn more about the rules, regulations, and court decisions that are shaping the landscape of legal marijuana in this edition of Pot Public Policy. Welcome back, everyone. In this edition of Pot Public Policy, we're taking a look at one aspect of the criminal justice system that can affect cannabis consumers who get popped with possession of marijuana, and that's the system of cash bail in America. This is a system that's been around since the early 1900s, where in order to guarantee that you're not going to run off on your charge of holding the bag, you got to pay a certain amount of cash to get out of jail. And unfortunately, if you're poor and can't afford that, You've got to stay in jail. There's an 11th Circuit court case coming up that may decide whether or not requiring poor people who can't afford it to pay bail is actually constitutional or not. And joining us to discuss this, we've got Jeffrey Clayton here from the he's the policy director from the American Bail Coalition. And uh, Jeffrey, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Russ, for having me on. I appreciate it. Okay, so we've kind of set up the case here where the, the decision is whether or not requiring People who are really poor, who can't afford bail, whether or not they should have to stay in jail uh, when someone who's rich can just get out of jail by giving a bail bondsman some money. And uh, what is the position of uh, your organization on this? And can you explain uh, why you support that position? Well, that's the theory of the plaintiffs who are advocating um, for the complete elimination of all monetary conditions of bail in the country right now. Uh, Our coalition is against that particular portion of the movement, even though, uh, as you say, it's some of these low-level cases where, like possession of marijuana cases being a good example, that there should be some bail reform on that. But these particular activists are trying to throw out the entire system, which certainly would have uh, huge implications for those charged with marijuana possession and distribution and all other crimes in the country. When they, when they talk about throwing out the entire system of cash bail, do they offer some sort of replacement? Yeah, they're really highlighting the federal system and the District of Columbia system after which it was modeled as the example, which unfortunately uses what is called preventative detention, which is sort of a move against the American tradition that everybody has a right to bail and locks people up with no bail. And so that was a good idea in 1983, uh, but has increased the rate of detention in the federal system by 267%. And most of those were drug cases. Let's just be frank about it. Given the crack cocaine disparity and all the things going on in the 80s, that's who it hit. And so... To then say we should eliminate the current system and then have states adopt that system, I think could have you know wide-ranging 
impacts on people. There is that difference between the federal bail system and the state bail system. I, I found some, uh, you know, the 1966 Bail Reform Act during the Johnson administration. The idea being here, the idea here being under the federal system that uh, they're not going to uh, hold people uh, who haven't been convicted uh, if if they've uh, if they're just too poor to pay bail. Uh, it's interesting as I started looking up some of the, uh, the the facts on this that were kind of amazing to me that there's between a half million and three quarter million people in jail at any given time who are just charged. They're innocent until proven guilty. So they're sitting in a cell, presumably innocent, but they were too poor to be able to afford the bail to get out. And housing these prisoners is costing us $9 billion a year in taxpayer costs. And 60 to 70% of the people that were housed in such a way never ended up being convicted. And that includes 115,000 people who were uh, drug convictions. So as far as bail reform goes, uh, you're arguing against throwing the whole system out. What would you suggest as far as reforms on this? Because here on the show, we've told numerous stories of people who get popped for some sort of low-level drug crime. They end up dying in jail. And just because they couldn't afford 100 bucks for bail or whatever, what can we do? Yeah, and, you know, I live in my home state of Colorado where, you know, the laws have been liberalized. And uh, simple possession is you know, not an arrestable crime. And uh, so I think it's not just bail reform, it's the whole process of arrest. What are, we, what are we arresting people? Why are we arresting certain people for certain crimes? Because if we're going to turn around and let people go after we arrest them, why are we arresting them in, in the first place? So I think that's the thing to look at is, is these low-level bails, and then also what the plaintiffs are asking for in that case, which is due process, because a judge makes the decision. They look at all the factors, and the person makes their argument as to what they can and can't pay, and a judge you know, makes that decision. The other thing I'll point out is the vast majority of the reason people stay in pre-trial is uh, due to other factors, like they have multiple pending cases or immigration holds or the like. So even though there is room for reform, it's not the majority of the problem. Yeah. What uh, other stuff I found on this was that the average stay in jail for these folks is about 21 days. And then there was the terrible case of uh, Khalif Browder in uh, New York City, popped for uh, supposedly stealing a backpack, ended up serving three years in Rikers because he couldn't make, couldn't make his bail. The three years kind of affected his mind, and after he got out of jail, he committed suicide. And again, this guy wasn't convicted of anything. He just couldn't afford to get out on bail. Uh, let's yeah, uh, the Khalif, yeah, go ahead. The Khalif case, if I could just interrupt. The Khalif case actually highlights what I'm talking about because he was on a probation hold, yeah. so he wasn't bailable. And that's the unfortunate part. He may have been ah. bailable for... A period of hours, but the reality is he was going back in. Plus, he's a juvenile in solitary confinement. Yeah. But that, I think, illustrates my point is that when we just look at money as being the number one problem, we're missing um, a, lot of, a lot of the other problems that are out there that we could fix. Let's look on the other side of the bail issue. Uh, folks that haven't been to jail may not know this, but uh, when you get uh, it popped, I got popped in Utah, uh, they uh, assign a cash bail. Mine was $1,167 for having a tiny, tiny, tiny amount of, of cannabis oil. Uh, and then there's bail bondsmen. Bail bondsmen can then you can pay them 10%. They'll put up the rest, and then you can get out of jail. Uh, but what we found uh, is that there's four states here in America, and I'm in Oregon, which is one of the states that have eliminated for-profit bail bondsmen. Uh, Multnomah County, my home county here, is uh, one of the ones that's uh, done a lot of reform on bail with more pretrial supervision, uh, close street supervision, electronic ankle monitoring and such. Uh so is the profit motive part of the problem here? Because since 1990, there's been a 15, a 50% increase in 
how much the bond is and a 50% increase on how many crimes are charged or given bail is the profit motive part of the problem. You know, it could be. I don't, I don't see that uh, as being the problem. I don't really note in looking at the four states uh, that have done the reforms that the results are very much different. You look at the city of Chicago as a mess because they're doing low $100 and $200 bonds. And so, you know, I think it's just about having a smart system more than it is we hate commercial bail or, you know, we, you know, we like it. Uh, and so I think it's, you know, states' choices to do that. And I think we've, you know, the research certainly shows that cash um, bail works better than recognizance release with supervision. Uh, but, you know, in some places, in some cases, you know, supervision can be effective. You know, this uh, commercial bail industry in the United States pulls in $2 billion a year in revenue, and the U.S. and the Philippines are the only countries on Earth that still have some sort of commercial for-profit bail system. Uh, why are we the outliers? Why has the rest of the world abandoned this? Uh, well, I think it's just a matter of a, that they never adopted it, but they never adopted things like due process or having the judge and the prosecutor be two different people either. But, wait, 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 wait. wait. You th- you're telling me the United Kingdom doesn't have due process? Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking – well, the United Kingdom has uh, financial conditions of bail. They just don't have commercial um, For-profit for bail, bail, right. Exactly. That's my point right. is this yeah. for-profit bail commercial model – is generating $2 billion worth of profit here in the United States. That suggests to me that it's going to have a lot of lobbying pressure on our legislators to maintain crimes and to increase crimes and increase amounts of bail to fund that profit motive. Uh, Yeah, it's certainly a possibility. I think, um, you know, having been a person on the front lines who's on sort of, you know, the side of keeping the industry, I would say that the opposition has substantially more resources than we do. uh, And, you know, that's why we're having a difficult time right now, you might say. Hmm. You know, I, I guess maybe at the heart of it, aside from all the statistics and the anecdotes, is just the concept of the idea that if I'm a poor person, I have to stay in jail when I'm innocent. But if I'm a rich person, I don't have to stay in jail when I'm innocent. What about that basic concept? I mean, is it just morally wrong? I don't think so, because the judge, a judge is making that decision, like I said, based typically on 15 factors. Uh, you know, and so, you know, but that's a policy choice. And if that's the choice, then, you know, folks need to be prepared for the outcome. And that's, you know, the costly D.C. system or sort of the risk that if we take away money as sort of a temporary means of detaining someone, uh, you know, with a possibility release, that we're replacing that with no possibility release. And so... What would the system look like afterwards, I think, is more than just sort of fundamentally saying it's wrong. Hmm. Well, as I look at the statistics here, I find that uh, African-Americans are assigned higher bail bail amounts than white people for the same exact crime. So it seems to me the the system itself is broken and needs some serious reform. But we are out of time at this part of the segment. I want to thank you, Jeffrey Clayton, for joining us. And before I let you go, uh, to give out any sort of websites or information you might want to suggest for people that are interested in this topic. Absolutely. Hit our website at AmericanBailCoalition.org and click the In the News section. and has uh, updates on all things bail reform in this country. Thanks, Russ, for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jeffrey. It's a complex subject, and I appreciate taking a deeper look at it. And uh, we'll research it more, and maybe we'll get you back on for more discussion. Thanks a lot. Fantastic. Thank you. All right. That's all the time we got for Hour 1. But stay tuned for Toker Talk Radio Hour 2. We'll take your calls at 650-LEGAL-MJ. What do you think about the cash bail system? All I know is that when I was busted in Utah, I didn't have $1,100 to my name. 
In fact, if I didn't have some really good friends that got nice deep bank accounts, I might still be in Utah jail. We're also going to dissect more of the stoners against legalization. That dragonfly De La Luz, <laughs> she's doubled down on hijacking the good name of Seattle Hemp Fest Vivian McPeak. We'll give you the details, plus tear apart some more of their talking points. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us. And until next time, take care of each other, tokers. This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you try it, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth. Now it's time for Toker Talk Radio, the voice of the marijuana nation. What are you people? On dope? Or you can toke. I am here. Uh, or you can talk. I experimented with marijuana and didn't inhale. Or you can toke and talk. Ten federal criminal penalties for possession of up to one ounce of marijuana. While we talk about toke on Toker Talk Radio. So by the way, when it comes to pot, you know, if you're 40 years old, you live in a log cabin in Oregon, you got 12 giant pot plants in your backyard, have a ball. Live from beautiful Poplin, Oregon at Rolla J Studios. Plus your calls live at 971-533-7111. They're walking on their pants with their cap on backwards, listening to the end of a man, the Snoopy Snoopy Poop Dog. What's to keep somebody from getting all potted up on weed and then getting behind the wheel? Gateway theory doesn't work. It's a reality. Holland, is it real? Don't tease me. We're locking up people that take a couple of puffs of marijuana, and, and the, the next thing you know, they got 10 years. And now, here's your host, the guru of ganja graphics, the sultan of sativa statistics, and the worst nightmare of a reefer mad prohibitionist. A polite, perspicacious, productive pothead with a propensity for PowerPoint. Radical Russ Belleville. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back. Time for Toker Talk Radio. The phone lines are open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. That's 650-534-2565. We are live from beautiful legal potland, Oregon. And I hope you'll excuse me for just a second. I need to take a puff off a joint. (laughs) Give me just a moment. Oh, much better. All right. So, yeah, I had to take a little relaxing hit because uh, that last interview, whoo, uh, I knew going into it, I knew going into it, I was going to get some uh, emotions stirred up. Not the least of which because, you know, I've been to jail. And that was the question I didn't ask. I was going to ask the guy if he'd ever been to jail. But I've been to jail and I've sat in that cement room with the plexiglass and waited for six hours to be able to. And that that's presumed innocent sitting in a jail 
for six hours trying to raise the bail money to get me out. Because this is another thing we didn't discuss in that whole commercial for-profit bail bond industry kind of thing, is it's not like an obligation. It's not like they have to offer this service to you. If you're an out-of-state driver like I was, you can't get a bail bondsman to put up the bond for you. So I didn't have to come up with a $116. I had to come up with $1,167 on the spot, or I would have been sitting in that Utah jail until I could, or until my arraignment. And as I said, the average stay in jail for people that get busted, that can't make bail, and then have to wait for an arraignment, is 21 days. Three weeks. As it was, the six hours I spent there threw off my travel schedule to get to a very important event. Three weeks in jail? I'd have missed the event entirely in the next couple. And that's the thing that, that, that really troublesome about this discussion. And that's why I, you know, I wanted to front load the interview with the statistics to try to set the stage here, man. 750,000 people at any one time, 60 to 70% of them never get convicted. This costs us $9 billion a year to keep innocent people, again, presumed innocent, in jail because they can't make bail. And in jails last year, there were 800 fatalities in jails. Some of those people who were innocent until proven guilty, like Sandra Bland. We told you the story of Sandra Bland, the Texas woman, pulled over, got into a kind of a discussion with the officer on the side of the road who then handcuffs her and takes her to jail. She has to make a $5,000 bail. She could get a bail bondsman for 500 She couldn't come up with the 500 and over the weekend, they find her dead in the jail because she couldn't come up with 500 bucks. We told you the story of Mark Goodrum. Mark Goodrum, the man who was busted in Virginia off of a tip that he was smoking pot in his own house. He was charged with that, failed to appear for that, got warrants out for him. After they caught him, they put him in jail. His bail, he needed to come up with 100 bucks, 100 bucks to get out of jail, couldn't come up with it, had a stroke, died in the jail. This industry is a $2 billion industry. $2 billion, and it only exists in the U.S. and the Philippines. It's like the U.S. and the Philippines are the only countries that have for-profit bail. The U.S. and New Zealand are the only countries that have uh, uh, direct-to-consumer TV advertising from pharmaceutical companies. You know, I'm kind of tired of being one or two of the only countries that do something incredibly stupid like one of the only two countries or three countries that have for-profit healthcare systems Ugh. all right we're going to take a break when we come back more from dragonfly de la luz she's doubling down on her uh, yellow journalism we'll be right back this is the russ belleville show on cannabisradio.com Every strain, every sale, every medical study. Keep it right here on the Cannabis Radio Network. The cannabis industry is growing. Business is booming. And as new opportunities arise in newly legalized states, each market is getting more competitive. 
Today, it takes more than just being a good grower. Do you have the resources to market and handle this ever-changing business landscape? Let Canna Management Corporation help you grow your canna business with our vast resources and experience to make your business a fully functional service company. Financial management, HR, sales, marketing, efficiency, and more. CMC has the experience and the expertise to improve your business and help you better meet the demands of your clients and customers. Call Canna Management Corporation and let our team get you ready to grow. 415-269-8015. That's 415-269-8015. Or visit canna-management.com. Growing green to generate more green. Talking with multi-cup award winner Maya Elizabeth. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman. I've always followed Whoopi, and I think she's fantastic. I've followed her advocacy over the years. Tell me a little bit how you think partnering with a mainstream, high-profile figure actually benefits the cannabis community as a whole. I have infinite respect for Whoopi Goldberg. I wouldn't just partner with any into that kind of thing. I'm into cannabis medicine, and I'm into making quality products that people can find relief from. So to hear that her vision was actually the same, it's been beyond a dream to manifest. The Grow Show with Kyle Cushman, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show. Chat is for friends 18 and older. We expect our chat to be civil, mature, and free from excessive profanity. If you don't like these rules, there are approximately 6 billion other chat rooms with lower standards that you can visit. When you are starting up a medical cannabis business, you want a fired-up lawyer who understands the needs of cannabis consumers. The Law Office of Lauren Vasquez is your fired-up lawyer for the cannabis industry. Visit her website, fireduplawyer.com, or call 1-855-MMJ-LAWS for more information. That's 855-665-5297 for Lauren Vasquez, your fired-up lawyer, or email fireduplawyer at gmail.com. Remember, friends, there's more to life than marijuana. Date. Just can't remember what it is. Why'd I come in here? This is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. Oh, my goodness. I, you know, I was going to move on to Dragonfly, but I can't stop thinking about this cash bail thing. I'm going to go on this just a little longer. Quick reminder that our phone line is open at 650-LEGAL-MJ. If you've got any... Uh, Anything to add to this discussion on bail? I, I, one of the problems I had during the discussion, right? He he, uh, he asserted he asserted that it was uh, the uh, most efficient way to make sure people appear for their court dates. And, and okay, right? So the, the idea here is that without the cash bail. People would get arrested, charged with something, and then when their court date comes up, they wouldn't show. And then, uh, you know, it would lead to havoc in the criminal justice system. It would be an end to uh, our speedy and efficient... Uh, <laughs> I, almost, I almost made it through that without laughing. Our speedy and efficient legal system. Uh, here's my problem with that thinking, okay? First of all, I think it's highly suspect, this stat of his, this idea that cash bail works better than the other options. Because here in Multnomah County, we've reduced the amount of cash bail 
that is used in our system. Again, Oregon's one of the four states that doesn't allow for-profit bail bondsmen. And uh, in Multnomah County, specifically here in Portland, uh, they've significantly reduced the, the times, the types of cases in which they will use the cash bail system. Instead, they've, they've moved on to using uh, you know, release people on their own recognizance. That's the one where you say you were bad, show up to court. And, and really for, you know, most smaller offenses, I think that's probably going to be fine because the failure to appear that you would get and the arrest warrant for the failure to appear for most people at a low level is scarier and is more damaging than what they would suffer from going to court in the first place. So there's incentive to go to court because it's less punishing than the failure to appear. But there's also pretrial supervision. There's also uh, uh, close street supervision. This is more where they, they're, they're surveilling you. They're, they're coming by and talking to you every now and then, checking, checking up on you. And then, of course, the electronic ankle bracelets that we you know see in the in the crime shows right i'm sitting here thinking wait a minute we are paying nine billion dollars a year in tax costs to hold seven hundred and fifty thousand people at any one time 60 to 70 percent of them never convicted innocent people well 100 percent innocent because they've innocent until proven guilty while we're holding them but 60 to 70 percent of them never end up being convicted is what i'm saying so Three quarters of a million people, $9 billion. You're telling me that we couldn't have spent that $9 billion on 750,000 ankle monitors and it wouldn't have been cheaper and it wouldn't be more effective at getting people to go to court? Sorry, it doesn't pass the sniff test to me. It doesn't, doesn't really sound right to me. What does sound right to me is that there's money involved. And the whole point of the cash bail system is kind of like what they do when they offer you rebates on a on a item that you purchase, right? You go to the Home Depot, you go to the Office Depot, whatever. You buy a new printer or a refrigerator or whatever it might be. They say, yeah, it's it's eight hundred dollars with a ninety dollar mail in rebate, right? You get all excited. Oh, 90 bucks off. You buy that fridge and you take it home and you unpack it and you, you throw the paperwork over there and you never look at it again. And of course, you forget to mail in the rebate. And they know that. They're counting on that. They know that very few people, a small percentage, will actually mail in the rebate. And so they get the benefit of advertising this great cost saving to you, but uh, they don't really have to give you that much cost saving. Well, that's what the bail system is in a, in, a, in a sense. The cash bail system is we know that once we get this money out of you, the likelihood that we'll be keeping it is much greater than you getting it back. That's what it's all about. When I did my uh, stint in Utah, got busted because left in my laptop case by my assistant at the time, was a vapor pen that was empty as far as practical use goes, but still had the residue, the tiny residue of cannabis oil in it. For that, I got a charge of possession and a charge of paraphernalia, and the bail was $1,167. Now, I got that bail paid in full by my friend and got out of jail. And six months later, I got a letter from uh, Utah that said, okay, well, we're, we're dropping the charges. And here's your check. They mailed back the check 
for $1,167. Great. So I got this, my, my 1167 back. There's no, there's no more uh, charge over my head. Great. Put the money in the bank, invest it in some stuff for the show, pay some of the flight costs, etc. And at the end of the year, I get another letter back around November. This is 2014. That says, oh, uh, by the way, we decided to reinstate the charges. <laughs> okay, thanks. So they reinstated the charges. I got myself a lawyer. Lawyer negotiated with the court. And the court settled. The court settled. They would said, as long as I would accept a delayed plea, conditional plea, one of those things where you say you're guilty, but if you are good and you do everything right, they, they will pretend like you never said you were guilty and the whole case goes away. I don't remember what the technical term is. But the uh, condition was that I make that plea that would be erased if I was good. And what the definition of being good was is, number one, don't get busted for weed. Okay, no problem. I'll stay in Oregon. And number two, pay 100 bucks a month to the county in, I don't know what it was, fines, court costs, restitution, Tax, title, dealer, doc fee. The fuck I know what it was. It was just some fee. And interesting, isn't it, that they had me do that 100 bucks a month for 12 months. Let's see. 12 times 100 is 1,200 bucks. Virtually the same $1,167 that they sent back to me that was my bail money. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that mighty coincidental that the fees and the costs and the fines just happened to add up to about the same amount of money that I had given him in the bail amount in the first place. So yeah, I was, I was a little perturbed <laughs> on this bail issue. Now, here in Multnomah County, it doesn't seem to me like the lack of or the reduction in the use of cash bail has led to criminals roaming the streets and the purge taking place. Well, it seems to be a pretty nice place around here. It doesn't seem like we've got Multnomah County prosecutors clamoring for more use of cash bail because it's the only way they can get people to show up for court. It doesn't seem to be happening here. It doesn't be, seem to be happening in Kentucky, another one of the states that has gotten rid of the for-profit uh, bail and has done a lot of bail reform. So no, I, I don't believe it. I don't believe that there's nothing that can be done here. I believe a $2 billion industry is lobbying pretty hard to make sure they can keep being a $2 billion industry. That seems pretty effective. Now, the other thing I want to bring up when he talks about this efficiency of cash bail is that's irrelevant. (laughs) How efficient it is, is irrelevant. You know what would be the most efficient way to ensure someone charged with a crime shows up to court? Assign them a bodyguard who's with them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, handcuffed to their wrist, who's holding a a gun to their head. Man, I bet you damn near 100% of the people charged would show up to court then. That'd be the most efficient system ever. But it wouldn't be constitutional, it wouldn't be rational, and it wouldn't be just or moral. So when he says that the cash bail is the most efficient system, all I can think is... It doesn't matter how efficient it is. The cash bail principle is that you're innocent until proven guilty, but you're only free if you're rich. 
The cash bail system says there is some point at which you are so poor, you deserve a cage even if you're innocent. And that's just wrong. It doesn't matter how efficient it is. It's wrong. How much freedom we take from our people should be a very serious undertaking, a very serious consideration. And it should always be the least intrusive uh, reduction in liberty possible or that matches the totality of the circumstances, right? Yes, having an ankle monitor on you is a bit of an invasion of your privacy and, and liberty, but not as much as being locked in a six by nine cage with criminals. There's got to be some point at which we start to recognize that we are punishing people who are being innocent, punishing people who are innocent merely for being poor. And that's just wrong, and it needs to change. Ankle monitors, better supervision, more reform, but it's got to change. Hey, bud. Let's party. (laughs) Sounds like a good idea, Mr. Spicoli. It's 420 here in the Pacific time zone. Happy 420, Washington State. We're still cheering for you, and we're still fighting to get you guys home grow and joint sharing and pot lounges. Remember, legalization isn't an end point. It's just the beginning in our journey to true cannabis freedom. we got to take a break, and we'll come back with some Dragonfly right after this. We have your smoking section right here. This is the Cannabis Radio Network. Dr. Dabber, hurry. Its temperature is shooting past 1,000 degrees Fahrenheit. It's burning up. I'm afraid for this little guy, it's just too late. What caused the problem? Only Dr. Dabber can maintain the perfect temperature for a smooth-tasting, slower burn. This standard vaporizer lost all of its health benefits, sending it up in smoke. So you're telling me that most vapor pens burn so hot they produce smoke, not vapor? Correct. Keep away from those standard vaporizer pens and turn to Dr. Dabber, doctor's order. Less heat, (laughs) more flavor. The political climate is at a fever pitch. And the fight for the social fabric of America is set for battle this November. Tuesday, November 8th, the Cannabis Liberation Movement takes a huge step forward. And Cannabis Radio is here to chronicle this legendary moment. CannabisRadio.com and the Cannabis Radio News Team will feature wall-to-wall live coverage of all the coast-to-coast voting of state amendments, ballots, propositions, and initiatives that will further progress the Cannabis Crusade. Join us November 8th for Vote 2016, the path to cannabis freedom, only on CannabisRadio.com. The Russ Belleville Show, where the truth about marijuana gets more than a minute to speak. Coming soon to a city near you, Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. Get all your cannabis accounting, legal, and compliance questions answered by their knowledgeable panel of industry experts who want to help your cannabis business boom. Whether you're a grower, dispensary operator, or a newcomer to the field, your cannabis business needs Cannabis Finance Boot Camp. For information on upcoming events, visit CannabisFinanceBootCamp.com.
Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Rush Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. And we're taking a look now at uh, the pieces I've written up on WeedNews.co lately about the stoners against legalization. And primarily today, we're looking at one Dragonfly de la Luz. She was one of the high-profile opponents, one of the high-profile marijuana-using opponents of Prop 19 back in 2010. Managed to uh, land her mug in uh, NPR. There was a major NPR piece on her back in 2010. Spouting much the same rhetoric of how legalization of marijuana leads to takeover by the corporate overlords and the destruction of medical marijuana and more people in prison, etc., etc. She's back and she's got this blog up now against Prop 64, the California Marijuana Legalization Initiative. Now, when we visited this topic yesterday, her post was entitled Why California Progressives Are Voting No on Prop 64. And at the beginning of the post, she included a quote from Seattle Hemp Fest founder Vivian McPeak that said, quote, I thought for decades that legalization meant we would all keep doing what we were doing without fear of arrest or prosecution. I failed to grasp that the powers that be would see it as just another angle from which to gain control and hand opportunity to the wealthiest, most ruthless and most connected. End quote. Vivian McPeak. Executive Director, Seattle Hempfest. That opens the piece that then continues on for pages and pages and pages about how evil and terrible Prop 64 is and why progressives should vote against it. Vivian McPeak objected to this, saying you're taking the quote out of context because indeed he was talking about Washington's I-502, not Prop 64, and that he hasn't stated a public position on Prop 64 and that he did not appreciate having his words taken out of context regarding Prop 64 and would appreciate removal of the quote. All right, so that's where we were yesterday. Well, today we can follow up on this because number one, she didn't remove the quote. She added to it by putting at the end of Vivian's title a little explanation parenthetical thing that says referring to Washington's I-502, parentheses. Well, if it refers to Washington's I-502, why the hell is it at the top of a post about California's Prop 64? It would make sense if you were drawing a comparison. If you were saying what happened in Washington is going to happen in California. But she belies that in her own hyperlink that she added to the quote that hyperlinks back to a Seattle Post Intelligencer op-ed that Vivian wrote saying Washington's legalization was the worst in the nation and other states like California shouldn't copy it. That destroys the point of putting the quote at the top of this piece because, indeed, Prop 64 does not copy it, does not copy Washington's I-502. So she adds the hyperlink, she adds the little parenthetical, but she leaves the quote up. Now, the other thing that changed today is that she retitled the piece. Uh, The piece now is called 14 Reasons Why California Progressives Should Vote No on Prop 64. So that tells us 
that she's been editing the piece and that she added the hyperlink and the attribution to Vivian's 502 comments means she knows she's heard the criticism. She's been informed of Vivian's feelings about this and chose to ignore them and to continue on using his name to uh, suggest, to infer, to leave the impression with people that grassroots cannabis activists like Vivian McPeak are opposed to Prop 64. And again, Vivian's point in the op-ed she refers to is that California should not copy Washington. And California's Prop 64, with its guaranteed indoor home grow, with its lower taxes than Washington, with its no state canopy limit like Washington has, with no five nanogram per se DUID like Washington has, that will allow pot lounges like Washington doesn't, and that has legal sharing, which Washington does it, is far superior to Washington's I-502. So it's not copying Washington, and therefore uh, having that quote up there doesn't make any sense. And, And the rest of her piece, the 14 reasons why progressives should vote no, as misinformed as it is, can stand alone without Vivian's quote. The, Vivian's quote doesn't uh, uh, illuminate the piece any. It just helps to smear the good name of Vivian McPeak. I mean, this is worse than when Donald Trump uses music from, from you know, uh, Aerosmith or whoever at his campaign rallies, and then they tell him not to, and he, and he keeps doing it. Well, take down the quote. Just take down the quote. And, and I don't know if this was a change recently or if it was already in the piece, because like I said, it's such a long piece that I didn't read through it all until today. She's got quotes from Vivian all over the piece. I found six different quotes. She rearranged the different talking points to match that whole 14 reasons, you know, uh, idea. And at the close, at the very end of the piece, she writes, it is not incongruent to be for legalization and against Prop 64. Given the growing concern over the worsening drought, it is smart, reasonable, and sensible. As the nation's leader in environmental efficacy, surely California can do much better than Prop 64. And then follows that with the quote from Vivian, quote, don't copy us. The legislature might screw it all up and destroy the gains you worked so hard to win like they've done to us here in Washington, end quote, dash Vivian McPeak. Again, lady, Prop 64 is not copying Washington. And there's a couple other in-betweens in a couple of other places where she and and these Vivian McPeak quotes, again, are linking back to that Seattle PI op-ed that says, don't copy us. So we're not. We're not copying. California's not copying Washington. California would be so much better off than Washington. It'll make your head spin. But again, trying to use fact, science, reason, and logic and journalistic ethics with the stoners against legalization is a fool's errand. And I'm just that fool. Let's get to some of the content, though. Enough that she's smearing Vivian McPeak. That's bad enough, right? But the content. 
Oh my god. Um the despicable uh purposefully obfuscating, misdirecting, selectively revealing and outright bullshitting that she does about California's legalization initiative. And I'm going to go through she's got those 14 reasons. Get ready, folks, because over the next two weeks, I'm going to debunk every goddamn one of them. And here's the first one. Uh, One of the reasons you're supposed to vote against Prop 64 is because it's going to create new crimes. New crimes that will lead to greater arrests of cannabis consumers than currently. Let me read from her blog. This is what she writes. Quote, Prop 64 ironically creates new crimes that don't exist today and calls for jail time for a host of harmless offenses, including possessing more than an ounce. If you get pulled over with an ounce for yourself and a gram or two for your friend, you will face a draconian six months in jail and or a $500 fine under Prop 64. Okay, folks, so let me get this to you because what she's doing here is uh, something a lot of these stoners against legalization do because right after she asserts this terrible punishment that's coming out of prop 64 she cites prop 64 she copies and pastes from the from the uh, document of course with more boldface underlining and italics added but she copies from the document from prop 64 section 11357b 11357b says Persons 18 years of age or over who possess more than 28.5 grams of marijuana or more than 4 grams of concentrated cannabis or both shall be punished by imprisonment in a county jail for a period of not more than six months or by a fine of not more than $500 or by such fine and imprisonment. Oh, no, there it is right there in Prop 64, right there in Prop 64. It says get busted with more than an ounce or more than four grams of concentrate six months $500. It's right there in Prop 64. Here's the problem, Dragonfly. That's not a new punishment or a new crime. That's the punishment and crime now. Let me read you the relevant excerpts from California Health and Safety Code, Section 11357, paragraphs A and C. The law now. Quote, Every person who possesses Any concentrated cannabis shall be punished by imprisonment in the county jail for a period of not more than one year or by a fine of not more than $500 or by both such fine and imprisonment. Every person who possesses more than 28.5 grams of marijuana other than concentrated cannabis shall be punished by imprisonment in a county jail for a period of not more than six months or by a fine of not more than $500 or by both such fine and imprisonment. Hmm. In fact, when you compare the two, today's law versus Prop 64, the punishment for over an ounce of marijuana stayed the same, but the punishment for concentrates was reduced and the amount you could have was increased. Again, the law now, quote, any concentrated cannabis, end quote, is one year and $500 under Prop 64, quote, more than four grams of concentrated cannabis, end quote, six months and 500 bucks. Went from a year to six months, fine stayed the same, and your limit went from zero to four. The law isn't a new law, but the only new part about it actually 
reduced concentrate punishment. So that's typical. That's typical of these people. Whenever these people, these stoners against legalization, tell you Prop 64 is going to do X, Y, or Z if you're caught with PD or Q, ask them, what's the penalty for that now? Oh, well, if you have a medical card. No, no, not medical. We're talking legalization. What's the punishment now? Let me give you another example. She's trying to scare college-age young people that passing Prop 64 is going to subject them to greater risks and punishment thanks to another new crime. I will quote for you. Quote, Under Prop 64, even sharing any amount of cannabis would be a crime punishable by jail for teens and young adults aged 18 to 20, even though it's not a crime today. Young people in this age group, which includes most college students, will face up to six months in jail and a $500 fine for engaging in one of the most common and harmless pastimes California indulges in, simply sharing a joint together. Adults 21 and over who pass a joint to another college-age adult under 21 face the same steep penalty. Hmm. End quote. That sounds pretty scary. Currently... Under California Health and Safety Code, as summarized by normal, quote, a gift or mere transportation of 28.5 grams or less of marijuana is a misdemeanor punishable by a fine of up to $100, end quote. Hmm. So the current law is that it's not a crime. It's an infraction. Well, it's a misdemeanor. It's a, one of those non-arrestable misdemeanor things. So it's technically a crime. So the part where she says it's not a crime today not accurate, but I'll, I'll let that slide. So it's a, it's a $100 basically appearance ticket that you get. 100 bucks if you pass a joint, joint being less than 28.5 grams. So if Prop 64 is taking that and rising that up to six months in jail and 500 bucks and a misdemeanor, well, she's right. That's outrageous. That would be terrible to take to to make joint passing go from a hundred dollar ticket to a five hundred dollar six month in jail misdemeanor. That's unconscionable. Except, of course, Prop sixty four doesn't do that. Let me show you. Let me un- uncover the sinister and shady way she's trying to scare college students. She cites the text of Prop sixty four. Section 11360, paragraph A, which states, in part, quote, except as otherwise provided by this section or as authorized by law, every person who gives away marijuana shall be punished as follows. Persons 18 years of age or over shall be punished by imprisonment in a county jail for a period of not more than six months or by a fine of not more than $500 or by both such fine and imprisonment. Oh, see? person reading her post is going to go, there it is right there, right in there, Prop 64, Section 11360A, 18 or over, sharing weed, six months, 500 bucks. Here's the the problem. She fails to include the following paragraph B, quote, except as authorized by law, every person who gives away not more than 28.5 grams of marijuana is guilty of an infraction misdemeanor and shall be punished by a fine of not more than $100, end quote. Do you follow that? 
Dragonfly cites a paragraph A that begins with, except as otherwise provided in this section, and then omits the very next paragraph B that is provided in this section. She runs with the paragraph A that tells her audience that sharing a joint is going to be a six-month, $500 misdemeanor, and then omits the paragraph B that says for amounts below an ounce, a joint, the law stays exactly the same as it is today. So, either Dragonfly De La Luz is one of those people that stoners against legalization keep telling me can't possibly read and understand a whopping 62 pages of confusing legalistic jargon, or Dragonfly De La Luz understands it quite well and is purposely propagandizing young cannabis consumers to vote against their own self-interests, maintain their own criminality, and most important, keep the status quo for greedy prohibition profiteers. You wanted my attention, Dragonfly? You got 100% attention. This is some verified U.S. grade-A stoners against legalization bullshit. Be right back after this. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Earn your Ph.D. in THC monetization with CannabisRadio.com. Don't be late. Great websites today need expert web design and development and need to be e-commerce ready and mobile friendly. But building a marketable and profitable website can be an uphill climb. Ready to make your new website or replace your existing website? Think Orange as the new way to get in the black. Orange Hill Development works with Fortune 500 companies and offer the same top quality development service at a fraction of what other providers charge. Brands like Absolute, Carlsberg, and Nestle trust Orange Hill Development. Find out why you should trust your website with Orange Hill. Contact Orange Hill for a consultation today at orangehilldevelopment.com. Previously on the Stoner Jesus Show. St. Paul's doing good work. It's Mike, Greg, you're a poontang. If I can use a medical term. Yes. <laughs> the New England Medical Journal. Oh, my God. That's right. Uh, you can call me Dr. St. Paul now. Dr. St. Paul. I don't think I will. No. <laughs> <laughs> You wouldn't even qualify to be a vet. Oh, I'm a special kind of vet. I'll make him less lonely. The Stoner Jesus Show, live Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. Or find the Stoner Jesus Show podcast on demand at CannabisRadio.com and StonerJesus.net. Peace, bitches. You're tuned into the Russ Belleville Show, the voice of the marijuana nation, only on CannabisRadio.com. New beginner guitars and banjos are often constructed much better than ones built before your time. Why struggle? Get a new instrument or fix the old one. The trusted professionals at the Fingerboard Extension will evaluate your instrument for free. Repairs are priced for people who work for a living. Stop by the Fingerboard Extension downtown Corvallis at 120 Northwest 2nd Street today or check out its inventory on the web at fingerboardextension.com. Pod 2.0. It's not your father's Woodstock weed. <laughs> this is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Welcome back, everybody. 
Hey, uh, I just posted in our chat room some resources for you. A couple of graphics. Uh, hope you can pass them around in your Facebook feeds and Twitter and blogs and all that kind of stuff. One of them is a, uh, a JPEG of Normal's chart of what California law is right now. California Health and Safety Code for marijuana, possession, cultivation, trafficking, sales, all that kind of stuff. It's a great resource when someone tells you that Prop 64 is creating some new law or some penalty. You can just go look at uh, this and find out, well, what's the penalty for that now? And, And that's the thing is these people, one of their scare tactics, one of the ways that they like to fool people is by exploiting one of the, one of the, I don't know, it's not a condition, one of the uh, 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 properties of writing laws. And that is that sometimes you have to restate what the current law is. Laws aren't never deleted, right? They're amended. Okay. So there are currently laws on marijuana in California for all various sorts of things. So when you write a legalization initiative and in a section of a legalization initiative, you make a a segment of that uh, marijuana use legal. You still have to state what happens when people are outside of that segment of marijuana use. And that involves oftentimes restating what the current law is. Maybe it moves from one paragraph to the other and has to be renumbered or something. But a lot of times initiatives contain text that is part of the current law and and most states have a way of of delineating that within the text it's it's sometimes if it's new text being added it's italic and if it's old text that's been deleted it's 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 got a strike through some states do it with all caps or some states do it with bold facing but there's usually a way to tell which parts are the new parts being added and which parts are the law that's just being restated so they'll find something like, well, you know, if you're caught with more than an ounce, uh, you get a uh, six months and $500 fine. And they'll say, look, it's in Prop 64. They're making a crime. No, they're just restating what you'd get busted for now if you were driving around with more than an ounce on you. And, and I, had a, I had a guy the other day that was uh, on Twitter, maybe it was, who was telling me that uh, because of that, the people that regularly drive around with more than an ounce will be filling the jails. And I just got to thinking, it's like, first of all, who are you people that are regularly driving around with more than an ounce on you? And don't give me the, oh, a medical marijuana patient. Like, right. Okay. I, I get that. You need more as a patient, but regularly driving around. Like I can see the deal where you've got to go to your grower pick up your harvest and it's a half pound or a pound or whatever and drive it back home. Sure. But regularly you're always driving around with four ounces or a pound or whatever, just in case what the zombie apocalypse takes place. There's a big electromagnetic pulse. Nothing works. Society crumbles and you got caught on the side of the freeway, but thank God, at least you got your pound of weed. Is that the the reasoning here? (laughs) I don't know. Who is this that's driving around regularly with more than an ounce? I don't get it. I don't get it. Well, people selling, I I guess, might be driving around regularly with more than an ounce. And the other part of that that 
is is logic defying is that if that's crime now, which it is driving around with more than an ounce is a crime in California, less than an ounce is infraction decriminalized. But right now it's a crime driving around with more than an ounce misdemeanor, six months, $500 fine, just like it would be under Prop 64. So why aren't the jails filling up now with those people driving around with more than an ounce? In fact, it would be easier to catch them now because you can use a drug sniffing dog and you can any amount of weed you see or paraphernalia you see is reason enough to start the search. It should be easier to catch those people driving around with more than an ounce right now. After Prop 64 and you can legally have up to an ounce and the drug dogs have to be retired because they can't smell weight. It'd be easier to get get away with driving with more than an ounce, wouldn't it? There's no logic here, folks. There's no logic. It's just rent-seeking, prohibition, profiteering, propagandizing is what it is. It's people that got an invested interest in the status quo of keeping marijuana in California just illegal enough to be worth 300 bucks an ounce and sell for 1200 bucks a pound and just legal enough that they don't really have to worry about the cops. They like that. They th- if you are a bag slinger, the situation in California right now is perfect for you. No taxes, no regulations, no oversight, no inspections, no licenses, no regulations. You just get to grow your weed, harvest it, cure it, throw it in a bag, sell it to people at the cost of saffron. Have I told you guys the saffron analogy yet? I'm sure I've said it before, but maybe some of your new listeners. The most expensive vegetable matter you can buy that isn't an illegal drug is saffron. Saffron's a spice. And saffron uh, is a very difficult spice to harvest. Uh, The saffron is the three stamens of the crocus flower, a certain crocus flower. And these three stamens, the, the three little threads, right, in a flower, and they have to be hand plucked. There's no machinery for processing saffron. So there are these fields of crocus flowers that families work handpicking three little threads out of a flower takes 225,000 of these flowers. I'm sorry, 225,000 threads to make an ounce, like 700, what is that? Uh, seven, 75,000 flowers, something like that to make an ounce or something like that. It, it's a lot. I might be wrong on the numbers there, but it's a lot. So, and, and the harvest season on this is like only three weeks. So you got a three week window where these people work in 19, 20 hour days, handpicking three little threads out of a flower to gather up 75,000 or 225,000 of them make a pound. And this stuff is primarily uh, harvested and, and grown in Spain and Iran. And I can get an ounce of that shit freeze dried, shipped over for 90 bucks. At the Spice House in Chicago, owners Tom and Petty Erd sell a gram of superior grade saffron for $6.79 and an even finer version known as coupe, gra- coupe grade or coupe grade 
uh, for $8.29. $8.29 a gram and 29 with all that effort, and yet you're going to tell me that marijuana should be 10 to 15 a gram? Now, I'm not trying to discount the difficulty in growing fine consumer cannabis. I understand there's a lot of work involved in growing, harvesting, trimming, curing. I get it. But it ain't no three weeks 20-hour days, hand-picking three little threads out of a flower heart, is it? No, it's not. And as our guest Jorge Cervantes said in our Cultivator's Corner in the first hour, somebody who knows far more about growing than I do or just about anyone on the planet, he's looking at commercial wholesale costs for marijuana dropping down to the $200 a pound level. $200 a pound. Wouldn't that be great? Wholesale $200 a pound? That works out. Whoops. Did it wrong. 200 divided by 16. There we go. How come my number lock doesn't work when I want it to? Divided by... uh, Escape. I was going to do that real quick and slick and you wouldn't even know I was typing, but... $12.50 an ounce. That's what it works out to. $12.50 an ounce wholesale at what Jorge is talking about. Let's have a, let's have a hundred percent markup. That's 25 bucks an ounce. Let's have a 400% markup. It's a, it's 50 bucks an ounce. I think even with as much as cannabis is going to be sin taxed and as much as, uh, uh, pot shop owners and, and people are going to want to mark up the price. I think exceeding 50 bucks an ounce. Once we get, the wholesale price down to 200 a pound is a pretty reasonable goal. Should be less than that even. 35 bucks an ounce. Now, let me uh, uh, close up. I had one more quick uh, story I wanted to make sure I mentioned um, after I got off on the saffron track here. Uh, is the Wall Street Journal <laughs> has published its take on a new study that has come out that supposedly shows that pot makes you a slacker. In fact, the title of their piece is something like pot makes you a slacker. Now there's scientific proof or uh, close to that. I closed the tab. But anyway, Wall Street Journal goes off on this new study that involved rats. And they first they figured out uh, which of the rats were slackers and which of the rats were workers just naturally. You know, this rat, he likes to run the maze and he likes to do the wheel and whatever. And he's he's a real go getter. And then the other rat, well, he just, you know, sits around eating cheese and, you know, beating off. Whatever. He's the slacker. So they got them all figured out. Here's our team of slacker rats. Here's our team of, uh, of motivated rats. And uh, then they measured, you know, how often and, and aggressively they would perform a set of either an easy task or a hard task. And the easy task, they could get like a sugar cube, and in the hard task, they'd get two sugar cubes or whatever. And, what they, and, they, and they come up with the baseline for, for the slacker group, and they come up with the baseline for the, for the uh, motivated group, right? Then they take these rats, and they administer THC to half of them from both groups. Half the slackers are going to get some THC, half the... The motivated ones are going to get some THC. 
and they found the rats, regardless of whether they were initially a slacker or a motivated rat, once given the THC, were less likely to perform the more uh, difficult tasks and, and, and did so with less enthusiasm. And this, to the Wall Street Journal, is proof, proof positive, that pot makes you a slacker. Now, all sorts of ways we could attack this, but I'm going to start with the most uh, uh, easy one for me. And that is, well, no shit, Sherlock. Think about what they just discovered. They just discovered that if you are high, you want to chill. Really? Wow, that's some great scientific breakthrough there. And let's not even discuss the fact that THC alone without CBD is far more psychoactive and yada, yada, yada. If you got active THC in me, you might be less wanting to do mundane tasks is no big surprise. The question that needs to be answered is whether or not those same rats, after the THC wore off, went back to their baseline. Nobody wants to argue that while you're high, you might be the greatest worker in the world. The point is whether or not if you smoke pot after work and come back the next day, does it affect you? And the answer is no. This is the Russ Belleville Show on CannabisRadio.com. Forwarding the cause of legalization and research of the growing cannabis industry, one podcast at a time. The Cannabis Radio Network. (sighs) Cash? Sorry. I don't carry around cash, and I don't want to use the ATM and pay surcharges. You don't need to carry cash. Haven't you heard about PayQuick? Okay, tell me about PayQuick. It's the safe and easy way to pay. It works just like your debit card to securely pay for your purchase and gives you rewards points every time you use it. Nice. Pay quick. The safe and easy way to pay. P-A-Y-Q-W-I-C-K dot com. Well, that was a surprise. That's all the time we got for today. But uh, thanks for joining us here on CannabisRadio.com. We are live every Monday through Friday at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern Time. For the Russ Belleville Show, two hours of your latest marijuana news, interviews, data, polls, science, opinion, analysis, and more. Plus your live calls here at 650-LEGAL-MJ, 650-LEGAL-MJ, and it's a voicemail you can call 24-7. Leave a message, we might play it back on the show. I'm in Boston Saturday for the Freedom Rally, and don't forget tomorrow our special guest, former Minnesota Governor The Body. Jesse Ventura. For everyone here at CannabisRadio.com, I'm Radical Russ. Thanks for joining us, and until next time, take care of each other, tokers! This is the Russ Belleville Show. The Russ Belleville Show is blogging and podcasting daily at RadicalRuss.com. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it. You take a seed, you plant it, you grow it, you giant, you roll it, you smoke it, and it goes down smooth.